A reading from the Word of God, Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even, even as we put our hope in you. And so the psalmist first puts God in his rightful place. This is what worship is. It is putting God in his rightful place. And then he honors God's power in creation, God's awesome power in creation. And then he calls us to live a life of faithfulness, to, in essence, bring faith and life together each and every day. And finally, he ends in prayer, a prayer that is surrounded by this radical hope. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. These are words from the Word of God. And words change our lives. They give us truth upon which we can build on. They give us truth upon which our minds can shift. They give us the parameters of a kingdom that has no end. And during war, there is no shortage of words. Words of war come in many forms. The words of war, they ride the tides of the battle. The words of war, sometimes they bring comfort. The words of war, sometimes it's just all about love 
and grace and redemption. The words of war that I share with you today come from a selection of letters, and there's also a poem. They come from men and from women's hearts. They give us the details, the details of emotion. These words of war are the emotional details of people's real lives as they went through some of the most difficult days of their lives. And so I give you this morning on this Memorial Day Sunday, words of war. On July the 17th, 1915, Winston Churchill wrote the following letter and sealed it in an envelope marked to be sent to Mrs. Churchill in the event of my death. Do not grieve for me too much. I'm a spirit confident of my rights. Death is only an incident and not the most important which happens to us in this state of being. On the whole, especially since I met you, my darling, I have been happy, and you have taught me how noble a woman's heart can be. If there is anywhere else I shall be on the lookout for you, meanwhile, look forward, feel free, rejoice in life, cherish the children, guard my memory. God bless you. Goodbye, Winston. As you know, Winston Churchill went on to have an amazing career in politics and in leadership. This is a letter from Ethel Gawthorpe to Private Walter C. Shaw. They probably met at their local church because she talks about sitting next to him. Saturday, January 7th, 1916. Dearest Walter, Thanks ever so much for your most encouraging letter. A few more weekends and perhaps this business will be over. Oh, that sentence was read and reread. It was a grand letter, dearie. Your trust in God is fine. I thanked God for having, having given me such a good man. Oh, bless you. I guess you will appreciate a Sunday at home only to think of you having to sit next to me at chapel. Oh, won't it be grand when we meet again. I pray that God will continue to watch over you and bring you safely through. I'm sure, as Mrs. Wood said this morning, we must keep on praying and praying and never cease. That's just what we are doing, night and day. If I wake in the night, my thoughts go up to God for you. You are never out of my thoughts, night and day. There, I must stop talking about the future. I sometimes wonder what we shall do when you come back again, dear. Well, we have had a fairly rough passage, but bless you, there's a reward at the end. And after all this is over, we shall be able to say that Christ went with us all the way, and he will continue to do so if we will only trust him. You don't know how I'm longing to see you. Your longing is just as great. I know but keep smiling and put a cheerful courage on. Now, dear, no more at present. Good night and God bless you, my own brave darling. And may you be kept under the shadow of the Almighty and may his choicest blessing rest upon you. 
with best love, Ethel. On the day that the letter was written, Walter died in battle, never to receive it. This is from corporate Robert Block to his dear darling Millie. Darling, do you remember one Saturday night just before we sat down to a quiet tea? It was in your place and you were holding your baby sister and crooning over her. Suddenly you looked up and asked, Bobby, how much do you love me? And your eyes opened wide and searched my face. You dropped your head over the baby and softly sang, Roses of Picardy. I wonder if you understood my answer. You must have done, for you sang that song ever so nice. And last night, just before the news came through, I heard a chap play Roses of Picardy. And if you did not come and stand before me, it was as if, as if I saw your face and your smile and was glad for that. I love you. In 1918, Roses of Picardy was one of the most popular songs of the First World War. Here are the lyrics. She is watching by the poplars with her sea blue eyes. She is watching and longing and waiting where the long white roadway lies. And a song stirs in the silence as the wind in the boughs above. She listens and starts and trembles. Tis the first little song of love. Roses are shining in Picardy in the hush of the silver dew. Roses are flowering in Picardy, but there's never a rose like you. And the roses will die with the summertime, and our roads may be far apart, but there's one rose that dies not in Picardy. Tis the rose that I keep in my heart. And the years fly on forever till their shadows veil their skies, but he loves to hold her little hands and look in her sea blue eyes. And she sees the road by the poplars where they met in the bygone years. For the first little song of the roses is the last little song she hears. Roses are shining in Picardy in the hush of the silver dew. Roses are flowering in Picardy, but there's never a rose like you. And the roses will die with the summertime, and our roads may be far apart. But there's one rose that dies not. In Picardy, tis the rose that I keep in my heart. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. This is a letter from Reverend Robert Ryland. It's dated July 17, 1861. He writes, my dear son, and then he lists six, six principles, six ideals that he hopes and prays that his son will understand and embrace while he is in battle. First, take special care of your health. After all, you must learn to endure hardness 
as a good soldier. The war I trust will soon be over, and then the remembrance of your hardships will sweeten the joy of peace. Second, the rules of war require prompt and unquestioning obedience. You may sometimes think the command arbitrary and the officer supercilious, but it is yours to obey. Let your superiors feel assured that whatever they entrust to you will be faithfully done. Composed of such soldiers and led by skillful and brave commanders, our army, by the blessing of God, will never be defeated. Third, try to maintain your Christian profession among your comrades. I need not caution you against strong drink as useful, useless and hurtful, nor against profanity so common among soldiers. Both these practices you abhor. Aim to take at once a decided stand for God. If practicable, have prayers regularly in your tent or unite with your fellow disciples in prayer meetings in the camp. Should preaching be accessible, always be a hearer. Let the world know that you are a Christian. Read a chapter from the New Testament which your mother gave you every morning and evening. When you can, engage in secret prayer to God for his Holy Spirit to guide and sustain you. I would rather hear of your death than of the shipwreck of your faith. Fourth, as you will come into habitual contact with men of every grade, make special associates only of those whose influence on your character is felt to be good. Above all, they can be humble, spiritual, and active Christians, and yet mingle in the stirring and perilous duties of soldier life. Let these be your companions and models. You will thus return from the dangers of camp without a blemish on your name. Fifth, should it be your lot to enter into an engagement with the enemy, lift up your heart to the ever-present and good being, that he will protect you from sudden death, or if you fall, that he will receive your departing spirit cleansed in the blood of Jesus into his kingdom. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Commit your eternal interest, therefore, to the keeping of the Almighty Savior. Finally, and sixth, providence has placed you in the midst of a thoughtless and unpardoned men. What a beautiful thing it would be if you could win some of them to the Savior. Will you not try? You'll have many opportunities of saying a word in season. The sick you may comfort, the wavering you may confirm, the backslidden you may reclaim, the weary and heavy laden you may point to Jesus for rest to the soul. It is not presumptuous for a young man kindly and meekly to commend the gospel to his brother soldiers. That God Almighty may be your shield and your exceeding great reward is the constant prayer of your loving Father. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. In 1862, near Fredericksburg, Virginia, Major General Thomas J. Stonewall Jackson wrote this letter to his wife, Mary Anna Jackson. 
Oh, how thankful I am to our kind Heavenly Father for having spared my precious wife and given us a little daughter. I cannot tell you how grateful I am, nor how much I wish I could be with you and see my two darlings. I am so thankful to our ever kind Heavenly Father for having so improved my eyes as to enable me to write at night. He continually showers blessings upon me and that you should have been spared and our darling little daughter given us fills my heart with overflowing gratitude. If I know my unworthy self, my desire is to live entirely and unreservedly to God's glory. Pray, my darling, that I may so live. He was a pastor in Germany during the Second World War, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a collection of letters and papers that have been gathered together and entitled Letters and Papers from Prison. Allow me to share a few of his thoughts with you. I believe that God can and will bring good out of evil, even out of the greatest evil. For that purpose, he needs men who make the best use of everything. I believe that God will give us all the strength we need to help us to resist in all time of distress. But he never gives, he never gives it in advance, lest we should rely on ourselves and not on him alone. A faith such as this should allay all our fears for the future. I believe that even our mistakes and shortcomings are turned to good account, that it is no harder for God to deal with them than with our supposedly good deeds. I believe that God is no timeless fate, but that he waits for and answers sincere prayers and responsible actions. Christmas, 1943, morning prayers. Oh God, early in the morning, I cry to you. Help me to pray and to concentrate my thoughts on you. I cannot do this alone. In me there is darkness, but with you there is light. I am lonely, but you do not leave me. I am feeble in heart, but with you there is help. I am restless, but with you there is peace. In me there is bitterness, but with you there is patience. I do not understand your ways, but you know the way for me. Oh, Heavenly Father, I praise and thank you for the peace of the night. I praise and thank you for this new day. I praise and thank you for all your goodness and faithfulness throughout my life. You have granted me many blessings. Now let me also accept what is hard from your hand. You will lay on me no more than I can bear. You make all things work together for good for your children. And then possibly... Dietrich Bonhoeffer's most famous poem. It's simply entitled, Who Am I? Who am I? They often tell me I would step from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I would talk to my warders freely and friendly and clearly as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I would bear the days of misfortune equably, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really all that of which other men tell of? Or am I only what I know of myself, restless and longing and sick, 
like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, trembling with anger at despotisms and petty humiliation, tossing in expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I, this one or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others and before myself, a contemptibly woe-begone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from a victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest. O God, I am thine. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Dear Heavenly Father, we hear these words that rise on the tides of war and battle. We hear these words that give expression to the emotions, the longings, the joys, and the, the pains of the human hearts. And we know that in the midst of all these things, we must hope in you. In the midst of all these things, we must call out to you. We must worship you and understand your great power. We must build our lives, bringing faith and life together every day upon your truth. And so, Today, Heavenly Father, we remember, we reflect, and we give honor. Guide us in these moments, Father, to know that our life is found always in you. In Jesus' name, amen.